0: We have an Old Testament scripture passage and a New Testament scripture passage this morning. Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 through 16 can be found in your pew Bible on page 6. After that we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and read verses 18 through 24. Can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,878. Before we read, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father... Help us, Lord, by your spirit to see Christ in these words, our salvation, the good news of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to receive from your word this morning your grace. And may your grace be sufficient to us in all our weakness. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Turning now to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 through 24. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, One of the main characters, Claudius, kills his brother, King Hamlet, in order to take the throne of Denmark. This is what the younger Hamlet is seeking to avenge. When a brother kills another brother, it's called fratricide. Yet in Shakespeare's play, Hamlet, Claudius prays. But he prays in a bizarre way, he does not ask for forgiveness, because he wishes to not give up what he gained by his murder. He says, Oh, my offense is rank, it smells to heaven, it hath the primal eldest curse upon a brother's murder. Pray, can I not? Though inclination be as sharp as will, my stronger guilt defeats my strong intent. And like a man to double business bound, I stand and pause. Where shall I first begin? And both neglect. What if this cursed hand were thicker than itself with brother's blood? Is there not rain enough in the sweet heavens to wash it white as snow? Where too serves mercy but to confront the visage of offense? And what's in prayer but this twofold force? To be forestalled ere we come to fall or pardon being down? Then I'll look up. My fault is past. But, oh, what form of prayer can serve my turn? Forgive me, my foul murder? That cannot be, since I am still possessed of those effects for which I did the murder, my crown, my own ambition, and my queen. May one be pardoned to retain the offense in the corrupted currents of this world, Offense's gilded hand may shove by justice, and oft is seen the wicked prize itself buys out the law, but tis not so above. There is no shuffling, there the action lies, and his true nature, and we ourselves compelled, even to the teeth and forehead of our faults, to give an evidence, what then, what rests? Try what repentance can, what can it not? Yet what can it when one cannot repent? O wretched state, O bosom black as death, O lime soul that struggling to be free art more engaged. Help angels make assay, bow stubborn knees and heart with strings of steel, be soft as sinners of the newborn babe, all may be well. Now for those of you who probably aren't as familiar with Shakespearean kinds of language, what this man is expressing is the desire to repent but the inability to do so. such is the case, the condition, the situation of mankind. And this prayer that we see here, that Claudius should say, what should I ask for? Forgiveness for the murder? How can I? Is the same sort of hard-heartedness and attitude that Cain has over the murder of his brother. Our theme this morning is the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So words that come from Hebrews, and it fits perfectly for our text this morning, the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And we have four points. The first is the birth, the second is the brothers, third is the blood, and fourth is the banishment. So let's begin with the birth of the brothers here in verses one and two of Genesis chapter four. The expectancy and mystery of the first pregnancy must have been astounding. Have you ever thought about that? We're so accustomed to the idea of becoming pregnant and giving birth. But here, with Adam and Eve, this is the first time it's occurred. The miracle, the wonder of it. And coupled with the promise that God gave to them and the curse upon the serpent of a deliverer who would come from Eve, the parents eagerly awaited the arrival. In fact, his name Cain means either to bring forth or to acquire. So in a very real sense, Adam and Eve believed Cain to be that promised deliverer. Here he is. He has arrived. He will bring the redemption we require. We have to understand, we have to attempt to read this as Adam and Eve would have experienced it. Rather than from the perspective that we have many of thousands of years passed until the coming of Jesus. They were promised a coming deliverer who would be the seed of the woman. And here, now, she's pregnant. She's about to give birth. In fact, there's some textual difficulty in translating the words of Eve when she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. The NIV translates the Hebrew preposition in this way. With the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. When in fact, it can function as the mark of an accusative making the word following the object of the action of the sentence. So if the translators had gone with the accusative in the sentence rather than the preposition, Eve's words would be translated like this. I have brought forth a man, the Lord. Eve may, may very well be declaring about this son that she has given birth to, Not that he is God, but that he is the deliverer, promised to her. I have brought forth a man, the deliverer, the promised one. And so, imagine how this would have been the letdown of the ages. They did not have Christ, but rather a killer. Who would bring in the tragic history of the human race. In fact, you can understand the expectancy they had with the birth of their son, came, Because the mention of Abel's birth is almost an afterthought in relation to the firstborn. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. This firstborn who Adam and Eve believed to be the promised redeemer who would crush the serpent's head. In the final part, we learn that the career paths they take differ. One is a shepherd and the other works the ground. So let's move to that second point, the brothers. We've talked about the birth. What about the brothers? Verses 3 through 5, we read that in the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil, or some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So what we read here is that worship was offered at the end of days. And uh, we can gather from this statement that there was a practice that was passed down from Adam to the sons of offering these sacrifices. This is not an archaic thing, but this is a word of mouth thing. That very likely they would bring these sacrifices to the uh, the uh, the Temple Mount, the Garden of Eden, where the cherubim was with the sword and had an altar there prepared to give these offerings to the Lord. This is an appointed time when these offerings were given, and both Cain and Abel bring offerings, but Cain's is rejected and Abel's is received. You see, God, in clothing Adam and Eve in the garden, showed them that the proper way to approach Him. Was through the death of a substitute. The humility that says, I deserve to die because of my sin. But Lord, you are gracious to put my sin upon another in my place. This is not a statement here that God prefers sheep and goats over plants and and, uh, crops. Because later in the history of Israel, both of these offerings would be provided. But this is about... The idea of approaching God and giving, them, giving him gifts from your, uh, your crops without the intercession of blood. Abel brought the blood. Cain did not. But ultimately, it's not about simply what kind of offering you bring, but the way in which you bring an offering expressing the faith which you have. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 tells us, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Abel had faith. Cain did not. Cain's offering here represents all of humanity's attempts to come to God on their own terms. Apart from Christ, Cain's offering is another fig leaf garment. And David would later sing in his expression of repentance in Psalm 51, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. And so what we understand from Psalm 51, what we understand from Hebrews chapter 11, is the way in which Abel brought his offering was an expression of his faith in the coming deliverer, the one whose blood would take away his sins. And the way that Cain brought his offerings was an affront to God, because it was not in humility, but in pride and arrogance. You see, if only Cain had come with faith, looking to the coming sacrifices of Christ, bringing a blood offering, then offered his fruits from his field as an expression of his thankfulness for God's mercy, they would have been received. This is not God arbitrarily saying, I prefer offerings from shepherds and animals over offerings from fields. This is God saying, you must come to me in faith and the promised deliverer. But when Cain comes on his own terms, without the blood that intercedes, he's rejected. Cain did not recognize that the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. But take note of the grace of God. Verses 6 and 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Desires to have you, but you must master it. You see, God rejected Cain's offering. But he did not consume him because of his presumption to approach the Holy One without the blood of sacrifice. God did not simply walk away from Cain. He approached him and attempted to reason with him about his sacrifice and what he needed to do to be received, to be accepted. Once again, we see here in the book of Genesis a God who is pursuing. God sees into the heart of wicked man Cain. He sees his anger in his downcast face. He sees his heart full of hatred and murder. And he comes to Cain and he speaks with him and he warns him of the direction he is taking. God comes and reveals himself to Cain and points him in the way of life. His call to Cain is simple. Humble yourself. Have faith in me. walk in obedience. But Cain refused. So God warns him. Warns Cain that he's taking a path away from him, a path that leads towards destruction. It's a path of pain. It is a path of murder. It is a path of death. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And you see the statement, these words that God speaks to Cain. It's true of all of us here this morning. Our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Sin is crouching at our door and desires us. We have to master it. Cain has to master it. But how do we master it? Is God telling Cain here... Find some strength in yourself. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Don't you know that you have to master it in your own strength and in your own power and by your own will? James Montgomery Boyce tells the truth in his commentary when he says about these words, if we would master sin, we must first be mastered by him who mastered it. We must be The masters. God is not telling Cain to fight harder against sin. He's telling Cain to surrender to him. And in our fight, in our battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, God is not telling us to fight harder against sin. He's telling us to surrender to him. And it is surrendering to him that is fighting harder against sin. All spiritual warfare is the declaration that the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So we've looked at the birth, we've looked at the brothers, what about the blood? God comes to Cain, and he warns him. And verse 8, though, Cain does not heed that warning. He said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. We call this murder in the first degree, premeditated, planned, not a crime of passion, a crime of wicked determination. This is Cain going after his brother Abel out of jealousy, out of hatred. The twistedness of a sinful mind says, well, if God doesn't like my offerings, maybe if I get rid of the person whose offerings he likes, he'll accept me. Cain did not allow himself to be mastered by God, so he became enslaved by the devil. It's Christ himself who declared that the devil was a liar and a murderer from the start. And so it is no surprise that when sin had its way with Cain, he became the first murderer. He became the first to commit murder. He committed fratricide. But there is nowhere you can hide from the eyes of God. The pridefulness and arrogance of sinful men, sinful people, is that they think they can go out into a field where God can't see them. No sin committed in darkness is hidden from God Almighty. The arrogance of sinners is that they believe they do these things in secret, under the protection of darkness, out in a field. But God sees all. And so God confronts Cain. But unlike in the garden when God asked Adam and Eve where they were, God asked Cain a different question He said, Where is your brother, Abel? Do you think God doesn't know where Abel is? He's giving Cain another chance to confess, he's giving Cain a chance to repent, to come clean. Nonetheless, this is once again God showing grace. God not letting Cain run away from himself. Confronting him with his very own sin. And Cain's answer reveals how far the corruption of sin has gone. He lies directly to God. I don't know. He knows. But in his prideful Sinful arrogance, he thinks he could actually get away with it when he's speaking to the omnipotent, all knowing creator of the universe. And that is the arrogance and the pridefulness of sin. Even worse than the lie is the suggestion Cain gives by his question. To God, that Abel is not his responsibility. This is a famous phrase that has been passed down through culture. Am I my brother's keeper? You see, the indifference Cain expresses toward his brother in this question is astounding, and it has echoed down through the centuries of broken humanity's history. Cries for help go out. People ignore. A man is lying injured in the street. People walk right by or even move around him to go on their way. A woman screams for help in an apartment complex. No 911 calls are made. She's found dead the next day. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. Yes, we are our brother's keeper. The answer to Jesus' great Samaritan parable is not simply that we should have mercy on those who we find in difficult situations but to counteract the lie that was going on in his culture and society at the time that only people that I like are my neighbors. Everyone is my neighbor. And so when we say that the two greatest commandments are to love God with your whole heart, mind, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, he's not only speaking of the people who live next to us, It's talking about humanity made in the image of God. And Cain's denial here to ask the question, Am I my brother's keeper? is to deny what it means to be made in the image of God. It's to take someone else who's made in the image of God and smear that and to deny its reality, to dehumanize. See, the New Testament encourages us not only to look to Christ, but to be wary of the way of Cain. 1 John chapter 3, John writes to a church. He says this, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. The blood of Abel cried out to God from the ground, And it cried out for vengeance. The blood of Abel made an appeal to God for the condemnation of Cain, his brother, his murderer. But the book of Hebrews tells us that the sprinkled blood of Christ, our Savior, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is that word that Christ's blood speaks that is better than Abel? Because rather than the blood of Abel, which cries out for judgment, which cries out for for vengeance. The judgment and condemnation that Abel's blood cried out for because of the sins of Cain was poured out on Christ himself. Christ's blood does not ask for God's vengeance on his murderers. Because we're his murderers. His blood takes away God's vengeance away from his murderers. That's why the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is our Savior. But what about the banishment? Verse 11 In 12, we read, now you're under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. So you read here of a curse upon the curse. But unlike the curse of his father Adam, which was upon the ground for Adam's sake, this curse comes down directly upon a mortal, upon Cain himself. And God told Adam that the ground would be harder to work, but for Cain, God told him the ground will now actually reject him. It will no longer yield crops for him. He's cursed to be a restless wanderer upon the earth because he will have to be dependent upon others for food because whatever he plants will die. And although this curse is a fearful thing, it's still less than Cain deserved. The curse of the ground has been intensified for Cain. But what Cain actually deserved was death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. In that moment, he should have been struck. And what does Cain have to say? about this punishment, this curse. He says to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Notice here how Cain does not say that his sin is too great to bear, but that his punishment is. See, this is the complaint of the unrepentant. He's not thinking of the wrong that he has done. He's not thinking about how his brother is dead, but he gets to go on living. And to see that as an expression of God's grace, he's thinking only of himself and how unfairly he is being treated. The punishment. It's too hard to bear. You see, Boyce, he talks about this dissent. He says, How horrible sin is. Cain refused to come to God by the way of sacrifice, which God had graciously provided. Rejected, he plunged into an ever-increasing vortex of hatred and murder. At last, being judged by God in a manner far less rigorous that he deserved or had himself inflicted on Abel, he complained because the earth was not going to be as kind to him as it was previously and because he would become a wanderer in the earth. You see, our response in the flesh is much the same, is it not? How often have we heard the words or had the thoughts, but that's not fair. Cain complained and was afraid for his life. Yet there's grace still. Even in the face of such prideful unrepentance, the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. God promises Cain protection and marks him to keep him safe, and so Cain departs. And many want to say that he was driven out by God, cursed to wander forever, such that all things are ordained by God. This can be understood as the case. Yet, saying someone will be a wanderer on the earth is different than saying that God drove him to that fate forcibly, pushed him out. Could it be that Cain wandered by his own deep sense of guilt, his hardness of heart, his fear of what others would do to him? Could it be that what drove him was being haunted by what he had done? That the curse was the sin itself, the reality of having to live in unrepentance about killing your own brother? And we read, so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain went out from the Lord's presence. Now what he could have done, what he should have done when he heard God's words of judgment was run to God at the altar at the edge of Eden where the cherubim stood guard. There at the bottom of the temple mount represented still to the exiled family the presence of God Almighty. This is where Adam showed his two sons where they should offer their sacrifices. But instead of running to God, Cain ran from God to begin his lifelong journey of hiding just like his parents did in the garden. He should have seen his relationship with God as something worth having. And even like Jacob, something worth fighting for. To sell everything in order to have it. But his guilt and his shame and his pride and unwillingness to repent and seek forgiveness sent him away from God to the land of wandering. It sent him east of Eden and away from life itself. Away from the blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Away from Christ himself. And this is a warning to us all not to let pride, hate, resentment, self-pity keep us from finding forgiveness in Jesus Christ. To not let Cain's story be ours. One commentator wrote of Cain, he started with human reason as opposed to divine revelation. He continued in human willfulness willfulness instead of divine will. He opposed human pride to divine humility. He sank to human hatred instead of rising to divine love. He presented human excuses instead of seeking divine grace. He went into wandering instead of seeking to return. He ended in human loneliness instead of divine fellowship. To be alone without God is the worst thing that earth can hold. To go thus into eternity is indeed the second death. May it not be true of us here today that we went out from the Lord's presence. May we flee to Him and find in Him all we have ever longed for, needed. May we see in Christ's blood. a better word than the blood of Abel. May we not, like Claudius, pray in such a way as we're unwilling to seek repentance and forgiveness from God. May we know always that the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And in the grace of God, may we be saved from the way of Cain. Amen. We pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Lord, we pray that in the coming of time, we would see that you are renewing us by faith that we are not following the way of Cain but in your grace and your love you have redeemed us in Jesus Christ to be to be those who like Abel come to you in faith through the blood of Jesus Christ who see in Christ the one who took away our vengeance our sin that we deserved as murderers and may we know Lord that in your forgiveness in your grace and in your mercy we have all that we need it's in Christ's name we pray Amen